worst crime over the last few years has become a very serious business. It's a sector with an organised crime element to it. How big that is, I can't say. But there are operators who deliberately mislead or commit fraud, which ends up with third parties having waste and they pocket the money. Be it your white van man who agrees to remove a household load of waste for 50 quid and then tips it in a lay-by, through to a large-scale organisation that's using tipper wagons and, and various people in the process on 30-day payments, fills up a warehouse, disappears, doesn't pay the haulier and leaves the, the landowner to clear the site. Any landowners or anything that have had waste crime activities on their land will know it's an expensive business getting rid of that waste. Plus, you may be actually drawn in into the issue in terms of knowingly permitting. And what that means is that if, for example, you have a tenant in an area of your site that's doing something illegal and you've authorised them to be on that site and you're broadly aware of their activities, the fact you, that you don't know exactly what they're doing won't necessarily be a defence if you're prosecuted. So that brings in a load of landowners and landlords and other third parties who potentially could be brought into a, to a prosecution. There's been a trend over the last 10 years in environmental prosecutions not only the company is prosecuted, but often the directors or those officers of the company that have been involved in the offending are also prosecuted. So as an individual within an organisation, you could find yourself in court personally for either neglecting or consenting to something that ultimately ends up being an offence. And, and that catches a lot of people out. The risks these days in terms of fines and reputational damage are just absolutely huge. So nobody can really afford, you know, even the smallest slip up. It, it can be quite costly in terms of both financial, but in terms of business opportunity as well. We all pay for it, don't we? We pay for it in insurance, we pay for it in taxes and whatever we as a as a community can do to make it harder for people who are doing this is a, is a good thing for everybody. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Tim Sheehan. In this episode, we've partnered with Tarmac to look at how the world of waste is changing. Businesses and their directors are at increasing risk of prosecution if they get it wrong. But it's also a vital part of doing business in the circular economy and of being able to measure and reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. Waste is all around us. Everything that isn't waste yet will be. And everything that is waste now may one day be something useful. Waste is just a resource in the wrong place. That's Hannah Hefner. She's the National Recovery and Recycling Manager for Tarmac. I look after the compliance and the governance 
that surrounds our waste as a waste receiver. So recovery and landfills of inert material coming in to restore our quarries and any of the recycling material that we either take in to make into recycled aggregates and that includes wrap. So all of the construction, demolition and excavation waste in that. This is a sector with a lot of unfamiliar abbreviations. We've talked about wrap here before though. It's recycled asphalt planings. The material that is scraped up from old roads and then reused for new ones. We're used to thinking of supply chains as one way. Businesses take their place in the chain, bringing in raw materials or components, working on them and passing them on to the next business in the chain. But the waste industry is much more complex. Businesses like Tarmac both generate waste and make use of it. Products like Wrap are one example of this. The Clancy Group is a specialist UK utilities contractor. They work across the utility sector. Pretty much, if something is buried in the ground, they're the ones doing the burying, or digging up, maintaining and reinstating. As they do this, they create waste. They often need to transfer it away from site, and they increasingly are looking to reuse it. We heard from Sharon Palmer, their head of environmental assurance in the intro. Both companies take multiple positions in that chain. If you think about the waste chain, if you like, so we are a producer of waste in a lot of ways. We are a carrier. We're sometimes a, a broker in, in that, in different areas of our business. And then we're also a receiver in that, that waste. And Tarmac is increasingly a recycler of waste. It provides and reuses wrap, for example, and it's developing a new product which can be used to put waste soil dug up by companies like Clancy back in the ground. We're about to launch our sub-brand Circular Solution Aggregates, or CSAGs, which is aimed at supporting the low-carbon economy. I'm currently working on CS Trench, which is an alternative reinstatement material, a non-flowable stabilised material for reinstatement, or NFSMR for short. We're partnering with a company called SMR to bring this to market. And instead of taking out your utility trench and then disposing of that material in a landfill, we will use a binding product from SMR to mix with that product and be able to put that back in the trench. So you're going to utilise the whole of that material. There's another acronym for that non-flowable, stabilised material for reinstatement. It's called NFSMR. By using NFSMR, Clancy could cut the amount of material it needs to ship away from site and dispose of. Tama can offer a product that has limited embodied carbon as it does not need to be carried back and forth off the roads. Waste can be a source of opportunity for others. Certain wastes can even, as Jessica Morgan-Smith, a consultant from MPG explains, be used as a substitute for non-waste to improve soil quality and improve agricultural productivity. MPG are a multidisciplinary consultancy, environmental consultancy, and we deal mainly with planning, permitting and compliance as a whole. So anybody who um, is required to do something by one of the regulators that being the local authority or the environment agency, we can assist with, with compliance. 
we get clients at all different parts of the process. So some are landowners who have a piece of land, they know something can be done with it, but they're not sure what. So we get those as clients who come along to us and say, can you help us um, to add value to our port portfolio? We have the other end of the spectrum, which is somebody who's struggling with compliance and maybe they're receiving threats of enforcement from the local authority or the environment agency and they come to us to ask for help and um, to become compliant with their planning permission or environmental permit. It may be that from a waste perspective, a client has a piece of land that is unproductive agriculture and to improve that land we can bring some waste onto site this being clean inert material to maybe level the land and improve drainage and for it to become productive ag agriculture and then the other end of the spectrum which are businesses who receive waste and have a permit to receive waste and to treat it and we can get permits for them they may want to change their site and require planning permission for that they may need management systems. Waste can sometimes just be a resource in the wrong place, but at times it can also be a hazard. Waste can contain materials that spread disease, it can catch fire, it can leach contaminants into the soil. And when it's dumped illegally, it can be a nuisance and an eyesore, as well as posing all of those other risks. These risks have led the UK government to establish a waste duty of care through specific legislation. Other regulatory regimes will have similar requirements. Craig Berman knows these regulations well. We heard from him in the intro. For years, he worked at the UK Environment Agency, the EA, as a prosecutor, before overseeing all of the regulators' regional prosecutions. Since leaving the agency, he has worked as a solicitor at Schofield Sweeney, often acting for clients in the sector. There's a duty of care on every operator that deals in some way with waste, be it producing, transporting, disposing, keeping. There's two pieces of legislation that govern that primarily, and that's the Environmental Permitting Regulations, 2016, and the Environmental Protection Act of 1990. And in the Environmental Protection Act of 1990, there are specific duty of care obligations that require those people dealing in waste to take reasonable steps, for example, to make sure it gets to where it should be going and only is dealt with by people who are authorised to do so, and to keep a record of the waste that's an accurate description of the waste uh, and to take steps to prevent it escaping. So that's primarily in terms of duty of care, where those obligations come from. Tied in with that is the environmental permitting regulations, which set out who can deal with waste, how that waste is to be dealt with, the fact that you need an environmental permit for most of the waste processing activities, and then into the nitty gritty of what goes into a permit, and how you comply with your permit. So those two pieces of legislation read together provide a framework. To fulfill that duty of care, everyone who produces, transfers, or disposes of waste 
must ensure this is properly classified and tracked through the chain. In the UK, the classification system used is known as WM3. It's the third major version of the country's waste management codes and was adopted in 2015 to bring the country more into line with the European line of waste codes, among other things. So the first step is making sure that you're classifying the waste correctly. That involves a really big technical document and it gives each waste type a a, a waste classification code. So each type of waste you will be able to put into a little box and say, okay, that is, in our instance, it is mostly soils and stones. So that would be given a waste classification code of 170504. But there's pages and pages of these waste classification codes. So there'll be different ones from different industries and different types of waste. So the first point is get your waste classification code right and then you know what you can do with it. So when you then decide what happens next, when you're passing that on to a third party, so if you, you are then passing that to a waste carrier, you need to be able to tell you what the waste is, be able to describe that waste to them so they can be sure that they're taking it to somewhere that's allowed to take that waste and so on and so on. At every stop from the producer, each facility or receiver has to check that what they're receiving matches what it says on the paperwork. Now that's been open to illegal operation because down the chain, each person is happy to accept something that isn't accurately described in the paperwork. Part of the challenge has been that this is still, three decades into the internet era, a paper-based system. It feels really old-fashioned, but the majority of the country is still using a paper trail. So we would fill out a, a, a waste transfer note. Uh, you know, we have books of them and they've got various requirements on there. They need the waste classification code, they need the amount, where it's going where it's been produced, where it's going to. Um, and that is physically passed from person to person. That produces a lot of paper. A Clancy site manager might ask a third party haulier to take away waste from site. They'll have made sure they've properly classified the waste. They'll record this on the waste transfer note, take a copy for themselves, and then hand the notes to the driver. That driver might then drive the load of waste to a second site, where it will be collated and sorted. There'll be another handover of a waste transfer note at the Weybridge there. Once that waste has been sorted on site, it might be sent on, one skip load at a time, to a landfill site. Again, there's another handover of waste transfer notes, another carbon copy to be stored. And at the landfill, all of those records must be kept throughout the life of the site. If you've got a waste site, you've pretty got much got to keep it till you give your permit back. So if you've got a, an, a landfill site, an inert landfill site for 20 years, you've got 20 years. of, And, you know, some of these sites are taking a million tonnes a year. Can you imagine how many waste transfer notes that is? 
storage containers full of them. Clancy has been working recently to move away from this purely paper-based system. That will allow the company to see the real value and cost of the waste it produces. We do have a waste database, but that purely is there to put the tonnages and types of waste in. So that's something that we've introduced in the last 12 months to be able to give us a bit more management of our waste, know where we were producing it. And like I said, then we can see what we're, we're reusing and to be able to measure our scope three carbon emissions. The water companies are regulated industries within themselves. So they, you know, their regulator is saying, you know, you, you need to be reducing your carbon emissions as, as, as a regulated industry. So it's really an important milestone for them as well. You know, with their scope three emissions, they need to be making sure that they're being, being minimised as, as well for our own benefits. So, yeah, it's definitely a good business as well as environmental aim to have. But Clancy's system is not comprehensive. To be able to really know every detail of every load of waste, they need a much more efficient method of tracking. So too does the Environment Agency. The industry it regulates is huge. Without any criticism at all of the Environment Agency, it is quite significantly underfunded for the role that it has to play. And the whole system really is based on operator compliance. So the system that we operate, that it's governed by the Environment Agency, presupposes that the majority of operators will be compliant. It's light touch regulation, it's self-regulation, so permits impose an obligation to report incidents and, and breakdowns, etc., and pollution. And there just isn't the resources there for the Environment Agency to regulate everybody who's carrying out a waste activity. The situation is complicated further by the use of exemptions. These allow some sites to generate or store waste without a specific permit. In the environmental permitting regulations, they list a number of activities that, they, that are considered to be relatively low risk that can be done under an exemption rather than a permit even though they are what you'd call a regulated activity. So we're, for example, dealing with green waste or laying waste hardcore for roads or foundations, where you would normally require a permit, the regulations say, for certain activities within certain scope, you won't need a permit, you can just have an exemption. And the process at the moment is that you register that exemption with the agency, normally for no fee, and that entitles you to carry out the activity within the bounds of the exemption. The way that exemptions have been used by permitted sites up to now is either to grant them additional activities that are not covered in the permit, or grant them additional storage or processing capacities because the, per the exemption comes with an additional waste capacity, or extend their operation beyond the footprint of the permitted site. So if they haven't got the space, a site next door could suddenly then become covered by an exemption. One of the exemptions, and it escapes me which one, allows you to dismantle end-of-life vehicles, two vehicles at a time, on hard standing. Normally, 
dismantling of environmental uh, of end of life vehicles requires a permit, and they are reasonably risky because they contain hazardous waste like fluids, um, shock absorbers, batteries, that type of thing. And this exemption that allows two to be broken down at any one time is quite difficult to regulate, carries with it a risk. There are a lot of sites working under these sorts of exemptions, and the Environment Agency can't check all of them. The trouble is that what it would require is the Environment Agency visiting every exempt site in the country and assessing whether or not they are compliant with their exemption. Recently, I applied for a Freedom of Information request to the Environment Agency asking for the approximate number of exemptions registered in England. And as of the 4th of April, there were 127,932 exemptions registered in England. I think the exemption regime was largely based on trust that people would comply with the exemptions because it would be impossible to regulate 127,000 sites. Environment Agency are so stretched already that that simply can't be a task that could ever be completed. This will all change soon. Some of those waste exemptions will be removed. Companies that were using them will now need to apply for a permit. So the main exemption which is being removed is the T9 exemption, which is for the recovery of scrap metal. And that is an exemption that has deemed to be misused a lot over the years. That may have been accidentally that people may set up a small metal recovery facility and it's expanded and that company has just gone under the radar. Or it may have been a more purposeful misuse that a company has applied for it thinking, well, we've got something in place. So that will be removed from next year and anybody who deals with metal recovery, scrap metal recovery, will need a permit, an environmental permit. And a new digital way of tracking waste will be coming in. The government are proposing a digital waste tracking system. It'll bring some challenges initially. I think that will certainly produce a more streamlined approach. We as a waste producer will be able to see exactly where our waste has gone. We'll be able to look on that system as, as much as you know the, the regulator will or the carrier will or whoever is involved in that process. It'll be able to give us much clearer information and waste data than, than we have at the minute. Digital waste tracking is really, you know, I think the biggest change since duty of care was introduced. Along with the end of many exemptions, the digital waste tracking system will transform the UK waste sector. It's going to impact on every waste producer in the country. And I am a little concerned that, you know, we haven't got a great deal of time. You know, we haven't yet had the government response to the consultation. There was a government consultation last year. We haven't yet had that response and we don't quite know when implementation is going to happen. So originally they said the end of 23 to 24. 
obviously that's unlikely now but I think it's probably going to be within the next two years and the government are sending out regular updates in terms of you know they have somebody working on that system now so they're not going to turn around and say it's not going to happen digital waste tracking will happen the clock really is ticking companies must be ready for when that system comes into place companies really need to be starting to prepare now to get ready for that you know they need to get their house in order make sure they've got the right procedures and systems in place because if the regulator wants to have a look at waste transfer notes now they they pretty much have to come and ask you for the paper copies but under digital waste tracking they'll be able to look at almost anything at the touch of a button behind their desk now you've got a digital system that is in real time that will show if a producer is that doesn't know what they're doing, put something into a system, the regulators can already see that they don't know what they're doing. I don't think in the first instance, it's not going to be prosecutions and fines coming at them. It'll be training. It'll be advice. And, and you don't know what you don't know. So if your piece of paper has been folded away and put in a storage container for a decade, then you can't get trained on that. Whereas this system opens this up more to getting people's knowledge levels increased, their competency increased. You know, there's, there's so much more benefits to this whole system. Training will be key. And one of the first things everyone needs to know and should have known for a long time is that in waste, there's no such thing as muck. One of the, the terms that was used that has been used for decades in the waste management industry is muck mm. and muck away. So this is any material that's taken from a construction site, for example, soils and stones. And muck is a big problem in the waste management industry because what is muck? And it's not a term that you should use on a waste transfer note but I can tell you every time I audit a site, I see muck or muck away. It's just still a standard term. And that comes down to training and making sure that staff know that it's not a correct term to use. And it needs, you need more than that. The material needs to be classified. You need to know what that muck is in order to know where to, what to do with it and where to send it. What's the appropriate outlet for it? Because there's muck, we don't know what, where the appropriate site is. It could have heavy metals in it that could contaminate um, the environment around it. So it may need to go for treatment. But until you know what it is, you can't send it to the right outlet. Companies need to make sure that everyone in the business who interacts with waste who takes responsibility for passing it on to other parties, needs to know how to use waste classification codes, WM3, accurately. Everybody down the line throughout the system should be trained. One of the most important jobs, in my opinion, on a waste management site is that of the Weybridge operator because they're the ones that are checking the material coming in and checking it meets the description on the transfer note. 
And often we see it time and time again, that person has worked there for decades and is therefore seen as competent. But things have changed a lot over the years. And that's why at least annual training is really important to keep them up to speed on what they should be checking for. Descriptions, you know, if it says muck away, not to accept that as an appropriate description because their job's really important. They're the first eyes on that material before it comes into your site. And they're the ones often that will make a decision whether to flag it or not. That's part of what Sharon is doing at Clancy, but it's a big task. We have 3,000 people work at Clancy, you know, a lot of them on the front line dealing with the waste. That's a lot of people to try and explain, this is what you need to be doing and this is how you're doing it, when they've got however many other things um, going on and they're probably sometimes up to their waist in, 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 in dirty water. Tarmac faces similar challenges. To make sure everyone has the training they need, Hannah and her team are developing a modular training programme. We will start rolling that out for everybody. So it won't just be your site managers that handle waste. There'll be everybody in Tarmac that needs an element. If you think about it as modules, you know, this will be the module for everybody. Just a basic understanding for, you know, directors downwards of what waste is and what the issues are and what the, the pitfalls can be if we don't get it right. And then you'll go into module two, which will be very much about sites and waste produce, you know, producing waste and what you'd need to do there with to make sure that as a waste producer, we are compliant on site and we have to follow these certain processes and procedures to make sure that we are we're correct in that. And then module three, recycling and wrap, module four, recovery and landfill. And there, do you know what I mean? So they get into the more specific. So you'll have a general competence on waste there. And then very specific if your site or your team deals with, with those things in particular. In some ways, the digital waste tracking system can be expected to help with training and even with how companies understand their duty of care there simply won't be an option to write muck on a form. You'll need to know what waste you are dealing with in order to complete the transfer. The industry will have to deal with some uncertainty as it waits for the government to respond to the public consultation. But companies like Tarmac and Clancy are working to get ahead of whatever comes. It is difficult. We don't really know what the tracking system is going to look like. But, you know, there are some waste software companies out there which are saying they will seamlessly integrate with, with the digital waste tracking system. So we are working with a company called Soil Flow and they have already been speaking to different government advisors. And, and although nobody knows the exact how the system will work, they seem to be quite confident that it'll just plug in to whatever system and, and they will, and they've guaranteed that for us. The new system will likely work much like the tax system. The government will establish what needs to be reported and third-party software companies will give companies the tools to do this. Once that's in place, it will open a whole new world of opportunity. There's something like 200 million tonne of primary acts being used and 60 million tonne or to 70 million tonne of recycled aggregates being used in that. 
and figures show that there is about 120 million tonne of construction, demolition and excavation waste. As we try and move towards more of a low carbon economy, then we can't do it all with recycled aggregates because we're never going to get to that 200 million tonne. So that's the, the bit as well that we need to look at different applications and how we can utilise different things. What waste is available? What's not being used? What ideas and solutions are they to tackle and turn that waste into a resource? And then does that fit in that location? What schemes have we got coming up? What, what does the landscape look like in that area for the next five to 10 years? So there's a lot of different elements to it. But again, the digital system will allow you to analyse that and draw down on that data to be able to see where, what, how and when. The end of many exemptions and the introduction of digital waste tracking is going to be a major headache for many in the industry over the next few years. But when it is in full operation in the UK, companies will have more certainty that the waste they generate, transfer or receive has been properly recorded they'll be able to check and analyse all of their waste activities and waste streams from behind their desk. As will the regulator and its prosecutors. But it will help companies produce accurate calculations of their carbon costs. And to identify new business opportunities. Preparing for digital waste tracking will take planning and investment. But that investment won't be going to waste. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was produced by Will North and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and Tim Sheehan. Editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And the man who helps us track and classify everything we do and make the most of every opportunity is Rory Harris. Thanks to our partner for this episode, Tarmac, and thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and now Instagram.